Today I give you part two of the bottle or the battle. Let's all pray. Jesus, I pray that you help us to engage in the spirit today. Lord, to understand that we are in a battle, Lord, whether we chose it or not, here we are. And so I pray that you will help us, Lord, to do our part, to be mature adults in battle and understand that there is a very real war going on in the war of the heavenlies, in the war of heavenly places, in the war of the Spirit. Help us to discern that we are in this battle and help us to discern our rightful place, God, that we will not be defeated as we do our part as adults in the Spirit. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor, let them know that you're glad they're here today. And you can be seated. <clears throat> Again, I will remind you that we are in a battle that we didn't ask for. We have things going on in our economy that we didn't ask for. I didn't ask for a stimulus check a few years ago, but here we are and my grandkids are going to get to pay for it. I didn't ask for things that are going on in the border, but here we are, and there's millions coming over all the time that we don't know what their intent is. Many are looking for jobs, but I fear that many mean much more harm than just looking for a good job and looking for a new opportunity in life. There's things going on overseas. There's things going on in Ukraine. There's things going on in the Middle East, and yet a lot of the citizens, most of the citizens didn't ask for that but people in higher places that made decisions, uh, made decisions, and now the consequences are what they are, and so people are in battles that they didn't ask for. Mechanics, school teachers, attorneys, people that are now in battle situations that they didn't forecast and they didn't cause to have happen, but here they are, armed and ready for battle. We're in a spiritual war that I didn't ask for, I didn't ask to be placed here, I didn't ask to be born, and yet here we are in this situation, we're in a battle that I don't want to be in. But yet, I don't want to be a part of a home invasion either. And yet as a mature adult, I have to try to make sure that I'm relatively prepared to lock my doors at night, to make sure my alarm is set, to make sure that there are things in place that if there's a problem, that I have to be the mature one, that even though I didn't ask for it, I have to be prepared. Everybody say prepared. Last week we opened with the scripture that read that when I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so the indication there is that you put away talking like a child, which is typically pretty selfish in nature. A child is very selfish with the things they talk about. They're going to talk about toys. They're going to talk about food. They're going to talk about what's mine. Uh, they talk as a child. They don't think about the future. They don't think about investing. They don't think about retirement. They don't think about building lasting relationships. That's not what ch children talk about. But when you're mature, you begin to realize the power of consequences. You realize the power of planning and investing. You realize the power of that because you're no longer a child and so you don't speak as a child. You don't think as a child. You don't understand as a child. And so we realize when we get more mature that our conversation should change. We should act like adults. We should speak like adults. We shouldn't throw 
temper tantrums, even though in high levels of sports where you get paid millions of dollars, it still seems like it's acceptable to act like a child. And in fact, we celebrate that, but it doesn't work so well on the job site. It doesn't work so well in the family. It doesn't work so well, but it seems to work pretty well if you're a movie star or an athlete, a professional athlete, and you can seemingly get away with that. But that's typically how a child acts in the grocery store when they didn't get their way. And so we realize that we, we have to grow out of childhood and start to talk like an adult, and we have to think like an adult, and, and, and we have to understand like an adult. So here we are in a world that we have to be old enough to understand that most of our kids in children's ministry today will have a lesson and, and they will have some cool things to do in there. But we understand as adults that there is a very real spirit world trying to kill you. We understand that if there is a God and you believe that there's a God and, and if wherever you are in that belief system, whether you are persuaded and you are convinced there's a God, then you likewise have to be convinced that there are angels. And if you are convinced, in fact, that there are angels, then you are forced to believe that there is a fallen angel called the devil and one-third of the angels that fell with him out of heaven. You have to believe that if you're mature. And if you think that there might be God, then you have to believe that there might be these demons. So wherever you are in that belief system, then you understand as a mature adult that you can't have it both ways, that if you believe in the spirit world, then you have to believe that there's both good and evil things happening in that world. We have to also believe that there are things that are happening that appear to be very natural, that are in fact very supernatural in the spirit world. And so we choose the bottle or the battle. Now, the reason why I had my daughter put a baby bottle up there is because some people would think I was talking about a different bottle, but perhaps that's a lesson for a different time. The bottle or the battle. And so we understand as adults that there is a spirit world at place, that, that, that while we are in the natural, we do feed ourselves and we do get hungry, we get thirsty, and, and, and we need some sleep and we get tired and and, and people hurt our feelings and I got to go to work and there's aches and pains and there's exercise and there's, there's laughter and there's fun that while this natural world is at place, that if we are more mature in the spirit, we realize that simultaneously there's also a spirit man inside of me that also has cravings that also has to be fed that also has to have certain understanding of what's going on in a different realm. That's how we begin to understand as a man. Paul said, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. And so I'm talking about this mature thinking we need to be thinking about. And so likewise, if we think that there is a spirit world at stake, then we also have to understand the law of the harvest, that there's also good and bad things we invest in, not only into our own lives, not only our own health and fitness, not only our own retirement, not only our own future, not only our own families, that we realize the value of investing into that and into education, whatever that is in the natural, that we have to likewise understand that there's also a very real supernatural world that we invest into, that we're at war with, that there is things going on. Just as I said about protecting your home, there's also going to be things in the spirit that you have to protect in your home. There is no ring camera that will tell you if there's a spirit world going on in your house. 
There is no alarm system that goes off when somebody infiltrates. But if you're led by the Spirit and you begin to pray and you begin to understand in the Spirit, the Lord will quicken you and help you to understand in a whole different dimension that although I didn't hear anything with my natural ears, I believe something's going on in my house. I believe there's something there that doesn't belong there. And so here we are wrestling with this world as not only the spirit world and the flesh world, but we're also wrestling in this immature understanding, in this immature place that sometimes we are in, in spirit and in flesh, but also as a child or an adult or as a mature Christian. Ephesians 4 verse 11 through 16 explains what a mature Christian's responsibilities are for the work of the kingdom. And it says this in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And I always thought that these were the guys that get the work done. These are the guys that do the ministry. These are the guys that if you're going to, if you're going to have a good church, these guys have to be present and they should be. But what I didn't understand is what their role was until I became mature. And it says that he gave us in verse 12, those for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this isn't just saying that these, these apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, these, these evangelists, that these were, that the, all the work that was ever going to be done at church, all the things that were going to happen in the supernatural, all the things that are going to happen with training and development of disciples and of people and of learning and of growing and home Bible studies and, 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 and mentorship, that all that was going to happen by those five-fold ministry we call the five-fold ministry. What we do find out is, in fact, is they are there to train us, everybody say us, as mature believers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why these family groups are so important. When God laid that on my heart 10 years ago and told us that we would call these families because it's much more organic, it's much more natural. I was, I was wrestling with God, trying to figure out what do we call this small group environment. We call them everything from from home friendship groups, and we called them so many different things and had so many different ways of doing this. But when we finally settled on this, this was a God thus saith the Lord moment. This was a moment where God said, they are families. Why are families important? Because in families, you have people that are more mature. You have the parents. And they are the leaders. They're the ones that have accepted the responsibility for their children, or at least should in a household. I would contend that in some households in America, the teenagers are more mature than the parents. So you see there, it's not just a matter of your age that determines your maturity. It is your understanding and level of commitment that, un that reveals your level of maturity. In the church, it doesn't matter how long you've been a member at a congregation that determines your maturity. It's your understanding of scriptural and spiritual things and your commitment to those that, that, that help us to understand your level of maturity. And so we see that from, from quarter to quarter when we have these and we implement these, that we're always assessing who's the next one to be mature enough to handle a group of people that they can minister to and, and have sit under them. And then, and then out of those, the next rotation or two, where's the next up and coming developing 
believer and Christian that's, that's mature enough to handle a group of people that come to them and need edifying and growth and development. And so the challenge today is we have to, we have to be sure that, um, that we're always growing. Every year I want to look at this year and, and look back at last year and say, I want to be more mature than I was last year. I've been pastoring now for 24 years, but I still want to be more mature. I've been saved since I was 12. I'm 57, but I still want to be more mature this year than I was last year. I want to be more grown up. I want to have greater conversations in the spirit this year than last year. I want to think on a higher level this year than I did last year. I want to have better understanding of the spirit world and knowledge of the scripture this year than I did last year. Why? Because I want to continue to grow and develop. We're working on a process right now by where all of us have at least three people ahead of us that are higher than us, that, that, are, that are more developed and more mature than us, that all of us have at least three people. I could ask anybody here, who's your three people you're reaching up to? And you could give me the names of people that are speaking into your life. Why? Because you can't always be the smartest person in the room. You need to be in a room sometimes where somebody makes you feel silly. Not that they talk down to you, but you need to be sitting there in awe thinking, I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. I'm in meetings sometimes with men of God. I just sit there and just keep my yap shut because I just don't even want to say anything. I just want to just absorb it. I just want to suck it in. They're, they're having conversations about revival and end time revival and understanding and spiritual warfare. And I'm just taking it all in. You need to be in those environments. So even here in the church, there needs to be two or three people that you're reaching up to. But can I tell you, simultaneously, you also need to have a hold of about two or three under you. So that you don't become so entitled that it's just feed me, feed me, feed me. But at the same time, you're not using that to then reach down and to feed somebody else and to help somebody else in the journey. I had a conversation with a man just a couple weeks ago that's missionary to Spain and he said the greatest success I've ever seen lasting effect is home Bible studies and I've seen that happen even in this congregation even in this church how many of you came to the Lord and I'm going to say some of us were raised in church but if you came to the Lord after the age of 25 or 30 and it was through a home Bible study somebody meeting with you in your home talking about the Lord raise your hand and so there are several here today I know Bobby Joe's back in the nursery and she's going to be one of them that raised her hand as well that is one of the greatest ways to disciple somebody and develop them. And so it's the work of the ministry. It's being willing to say, I'm going to grow this year so that next, next semester, Pastor, I, I want to be a family leader. I want to be somebody that, that I can be accountable to help, to help some new people that are coming to our church. I believe I can do that. And I can believe I can, I can be mature enough to do that. But in this passage we open with, Paul was afraid that he went back to the church here and Begin to understand that you should be teachers by now. But instead, I have to go back and talk about repentance again and baptism again. You, you should be out teaching. I should be, I should be training you as teachers. I should be training you as ministers. And yet I've come back. And, and we don't know the time frame of when he was there before. But, but you could tell the disappointment in his voice when he said, I should be coming back seeing you as teachers. But instead... We're laying the foundations, the, the, the very minor foundations of salvation all over again. And that should not be. You're, you're still on the bottle. You should have meat. You should be eating meat and then giving the bottle to somebody else. But instead, you're still on the bottle.
till we all come together to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son, uh, the Son of God, unto a perfect man, again, a, a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So as we grow, we're growing in development and, and, and exemplifying Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Why? Because that's how children are. You can convince them of anything because they're kids. But when you become more mature and an adult, you're not as easily fooled and carried about with every wind of doctrine and the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking of the truth in love may grow up. Everybody shall grow up. And to him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. As we all mature, the body gets better. Now, I'm going to make kind of a silly analogy here, but can you imagine a body where only half of you continues to grow and the other half of your body stays six years old? How functional would that body be? How healthy would that body be? I, I, have, I have seen people before, so let's not even talk about, that, about, about age. Let's talk about somebody that has, is, is, meant, is, is physically unable due to an illness or, or, or something happens to their body and part of their body doesn't work. My grandmother had a stroke years ago and half of her body was working, half of it wasn't. She, she, it was hard for her to function. How many of you believe the body of Christ should be fully functional, fully active, fully prepared for warfare, fully prepared to do what God has called us to do? But if only half the body is mature, well, God's will will still be done, will it? And so I have to feel a sense of personal responsibility for me to grow and mature. And everybody in this room needs to be more mature this year than you were last year. Everybody here should be capable of, 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 of being a family leader and, and being a family parent, a TCT parent. Everybody here should, be, should know enough doctrine, be able to read well enough to teach somebody a Bible study. Uh, verses 17 through 24 describes what a child or immature or an immature child behaves like. And I won't read every single verse, but I'll just quote a few areas here that, that there's the vanity of their mind, that they're having their understanding darkened, that they're alienated from the life of God through the, through their own ignorance, who, who they're giving themselves over to lasciviousness or very lustful thinking. They don't have control over their thoughts or their emotions or their hormones. They work with all uncleanness and with greediness. They, they, they have a lot of conversations of the old man and they're consumed with their deceitful lust. And these are areas that, that if we're not maturing, that we're out of control in these areas. David says, let the words of my mouth in the meditation of my heart. Do you know how hard that one is? In fact, I was praying that over here earlier before service. I'm a good boy, I'm doing right, I'm doing a lot of the right things. But to know that, that, that every thought, the meditation, the thoughts of my heart have to be acceptable to him. Whew. 
Well, I behaved myself this week, but can I admit that every thought was acceptable to Christ? That's a, that's a high watermark right there. But if you're reaching for perfection, if you're reaching for maturity, that's what you're reaching for. Verse 25 through 32 describes what an adult mature Christian does. Putting away lying, speaking every man the truth to his neighbor, members of one another, understand that we are members of the body. Understand this, you don't sin alone. You don't damage part of the body by itself and not have it affect the other part of the body. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What you do on your own if you're not in Vegas or in Vegas is not the point. The point is you think that you do something alone and nobody else knows. It does affect because why? There is a spirit world. And so what you do affects things in the spirit. And so if you're not in control of yourself, if you are living a sinful life, it affects the body because the body is not fully functioning. Putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, members of one another, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't give him credit or power. If you got up late for work, don't blame the devil. If you, if you were fiddling around with your car and something happens, don't blame the devil. If you spent your money unwisely and now you're in a financial wreck, don't blame the devil. Don't give place to him. Don't give him credit for that. Own it. I don't, I don't hardly give him credit for anything. I, as I told you last week, I told Lanny one time, I said, uh, look, I, I don't even know if the devil messes with me, me very much because I'm a big enough enemy for myself. I think he says, hey, guys, don't waste time on him. He's got his own issues. He's got enough problems. I mean, he's trying to deal with his own humanity. He's dealing with Bill Pelham enough. Don't, don't even have to waste your time with that guy. And so in this, don't give place to the devil some of you build a room, you build a cabin for him in your brain and then let him lodge there. It, it, it might be your uncontrolled thoughts. It might be lust. It might be, it might be bitterness, unforgiveness. It, 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 might be, it might be some area that you just, just feel like you just don't have a control. It might be a habit. It might be something that, that you don't feel like you can whip or, or defeat. So you, you, you give place to the devil. You, you have a spare room for him to stay whenever he wants to come visit. And instead of casting him out and stopping the movie and saying, no, not today, not on my watch. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. But let me tell you the scripture before that. It says, submit yourself therefore unto God. And so when my opinion is this, is I may not be powerful enough to resist the devil on my own, but the reason we have that, that, that passage is because if I submit myself therefore unto God and I'm in covenant with him, at that point when I tell the devil, devil, you got to go, in my mind, I see the devil coming out of the front door of my house and standing on the porch and saying, is there a problem here? Because if you try to just resist the devil on your own power, you're not going to be able to do it. But if you're in covenant with God and if you've submitted your life to his word and to him and then you resist the devil, I believe you have all access to Jesus Christ that's going to come in behind you and say, is there a problem here? And I believe he's going to show up and the devil's got to flee.
But if you build a place for him, well, I just have trouble getting past this. Mm, you just build a room right there. I, I don't know if I can forgive this person for this. Well, you just build a room. Sorry, you just, you just built him a fortress in your brain. You just built him a cabin. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. Well, there you go. You just built one for him. You just told him that you don't have any hope of getting over this because everybody's got their problems. You, you, got a, you got a problem with your thought control and some of that, and you, and you want to use the excuse, well, I'm just a red-blooded American man. Up, oh, just build a house right there. Just right in your brain right there. You just, you just excuse yourself. Think whatever thoughts you want because I'm a red-blooded American man, so I guess that means you don't have to control your thoughts. There's all kinds of areas we give place to the devil. You give somebody a brand new house, give them a nice 2,500 square foot house with all the furnishings and tell them that's their house, they would take that house in a minute. And if I offered them that house and said, look, all I want is one nail, I got a big long nail here, all I want is that you give me this one nail. It's gonna be in your house, but just give me that nail. Would that be a good deal? Would that be a deal that anybody here would take? If I made a bargain with you, that would give you a house, I just want one nail on that house. Almost everybody here would take that deal. So you get moved in, you get your family moved in, you, you get all that situated, and I show up to my house, to your house, I knock on your door, and said, I'm here with my nail and my hammer, and you said, okay. I walk into any room I choose, and I just find a spot on the wall, and I pound that nail, and now it's a little unsightly, and it's a nail, it's a little out of place, but you got a whole house. You got plenty of space, right? You got plenty of room. You don't have to fixate on that one nail. I leave the house and you're like, well, that's a little awkward, but it's only one nail. Look at what we have. We have everything else to ourselves. But the problem is I come back two weeks later and I come back with some roadkill and I take that thing and I hang it on my nail and you say, wait, whoa, 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 wait, wait. And I said, no, no, you wait. That's my nail and I'm going to do with it whatever I want. That was the deal. Well, I won't get too graphic here because y'all gonna go eat lunch here in a few minutes, but I'm just here to tell you that after a little while, that thing hanging in there and stuff starts crawling on it and stuff starts dripping off of it and the bugs that starts coming in, I'm just telling you right now, I'm gonna run you out of your house. You see, when you think that you're just gonna give the devil one little place, when you, when you think that they're just, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm 99% good. I'm 95% I'm good. I mean, compared to everybody else, I'm doing really good. I mean, I know I got this one thing, but nobody's perfect. I'm here to tell you, if you give him one little nail in your house, that's all he needs. And he will run you out with that one little nail. You can't give place to the devil. You can't give him any place in your room. You can't let him get his foot in the door. It's called a stronghold, and 2 Corinthians 10 addresses it, for we walk not in the flesh. For we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he tells us how to do it. Because it's not all just binding and loosing and casting things out. He tells us here how we get rid of strongholds. We have to tear down that apartment in our house. We have to tear down plank by plank, whatever room you've allowed for the devil, you have to do the work. Look at your neighbor and say, you gotta do the work. So now he tells us how we do this spiritual walk. There is some very natural things we have to do 
to accomplish this spiritual work to cast down strongholds. And it says here how we do it. Casting down imaginations. I do not read there where we pray and God takes it out of our head. I read there that when I get a thought, I have to tear that thing down. When I have something that's a stronghold, a lustful thought, greed, ambition, hatred, whatever it is, I have to apprehend that thing and I have to tear it down. So I have to cast down that imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And here we go back to the brain again and bringing into captivity every thought. I got to apprehend that brain of mine. I got to hold it prisoner. I got to handcuff that dude and say, you are not allowed to just roam freely and think everything you want. Bring into captivity every thought, how to the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when you're, you're, your obedience is fulfilled. Pastor, I just keep praying that God would set me free. Thank God he can do that. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he's waiting for you to cast it down. And he's waiting for you to bring your own and my own nasty flesh under subjection to the obedience of Christ. Many times we wait for God to show up at an altar call and just totally strip us of all temptations. And he's like, I will help you with some of those. And at times I will do that. But there's going to be some of those that you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to go to war. You're going to have to choose the battle. You're going to have to enter into the warfare. You're going to have to enter into the battle. Don't give place to the devil. Don't give him power. He tries to intimidate you. Don't be timid. Don't give him a place. Don't let the bully just think he can talk his way into your mind, into your house. If it's contrary to God, reject it. You don't walk around with confidence that you can do anything, but you do walk around with the confidence that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So I don't walk around with this, this, this power that I've got the goods other than I've got him in me. So I've got the goods in me right now. I've got his spirit in me. I can overcome. I can accomplish all things. And so I don't bow to intimidation. And I also have to know, and you have to know your place in the spirit. These signs shall follow them that believe. Are there any believers in the house today? Then you have power to pray for people and have them be healed. You have power to pray for people and cast out devils. You have power to pray for people and have them be delivered from things that have kept them bound. You have the power to do that. So you got to know who you are in the spirit unless you're on the bottle. And then you're entitled and you're just waiting for the next meal or the next church service, or the next revival, or the next time that you should just feel the unction of the Lord and feel like everything's going to be okay, and then you leave these doors and get right back in to the battle and just get slaughtered another week and come back again because you've not learned how to fight. You've not learned how to overcome. You don't know your place in the Spirit. The Bible says you're seated in heavenly places. That doesn't mean... That's where you're, when you sit down, when you go to heaven. 
That, that whole expression there of seated in heavenly places means you have a place in the spirit. You have dominion. You have a voting right. When you're seated in a conference, when, when they say Bill Pelham is seated here, it, it's not just saying he's sitting down. It's saying that we recognize him and he has a vote today. And so when you are seated in heavenly places, you have a vote. You need to cast your vote. You need to realize who you are. You need to go through the Bible and figure out where you have dominion and authority and then exercise that dominion and authority and exercise that place you have in the spirit, that place that God has given you, that area that you can win somebody to the Lord. You can teach a home Bible study. You can pray for them. You can see them be delivered. You can cast the devil off of them. Why do we need to know this? Because you would be shocked at how many times Children of God that have served God for decades will call a pastor about the most small thing and say, Pastor, will you pray for my neighbor? Will you pray for this? You know what? We do, and we always do pray for these needs. We get off the phone and we pray. But I will tell you that some of those, you need to see your place and say, you know what? If, I got, if God put me in a place to be this person's neighbor, then God has placed me here to be a hedge of safety, to be their place of protection. And so I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. I'm going to go over there right now and say, hey, we can, we can pray right now. And I'm going to pray the prayer of faith over you. What would happen if the church would, would see her place and see where we belong and say, you know what, this is my fight. This is my destiny. God made me, uh, put me in this office environment with these people. I'm going to take dominion here. When they ask me a question about this, what should I tell them? What's the Bible say? Look it up. Been serving God 40 years. You don't know how to tell somebody how to repent? You're still on the bottle. We got a world to reach, folks. You know what? When, when, when I got married, um, it was that first step of maturity. I, I, I felt like I was mature for from, from my age. And, and, but when I got married, I, I realized that now um, I'm providing uh, for both of us. She had a good job and I had a job. And so, um, you know, we, we're providing. But, but, but I, I had to make sure that um, I was taking care of her. I felt like there were certain responsibilities I had as a man and as a mature man that I, I needed to care for her. Well, it wasn't long and we started having kids. And, and so now I realize that there's more sacrifice and there was more things that I'm not only providing and, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm taking care of my wife and protecting her, but now I have kids. And one kid turned into two and three and four. And so with kids, now I have this sense of responsibility of, of, of making sure that, that I, I make lines certain places where my kids don't ride their bikes past this line because I don't want them too close to the street. And so I felt like that was my responsibility. I don't know if she ever told them where the line was, where they could ride their bikes. I felt like as the protector, that was my role. And so I would take my boot and when I'd cut the grass, I'd go across my gravel driveway. And when they wanted to ride their bikes, here's your line. That line was not close to the road, by the way. Can I help you understand that sometimes a pastor will not make the line right on the edge of sin? Pastor, what's okay? What's not okay? What's sin? What's not? What is acceptable? What is not? Well, you know, sin may be here, but if you want to be safe, you know, just, just consider this line here. And so when I became mature, I, I realized that, that I was responsible for somebody other than myself. You can always tell a mature Christian that's getting into the battle and getting off the bottle because they, they stop thinking about themselves. They're, they're, the things that they talk to pastors about are no longer about what, what benefits me, but 
but, but pastor, I have a friend, or, or there's a person that's coming to church, and, and I think that we could do something here that would better facilitate their growth and development. And pastor, what can I do to make this church better instead of the, pastor, here's what you can do to serve me better. You, you start to see the conversations of what a child would say, sound like and what an, what an adult, Paul said, when I was a child, I spake, I thought I understood. And so people that are mature in the spirit um, don't give place to the devil. And, and, and how many of you have seen people that have allowed themselves to be torn down by unhealthy, toxic relationships? And, and they, just, they just stay in it. And, and you watch them become a shadow of themselves. Here's why I'm telling you this. Because if you give place to the devil, that's what you're doing. You're staying in a toxic relationship with the devil because if you built a room for him that he can kind of hang around, well, I'm still doing pretty good 90% of the time. Yeah, but you're, giving, you're, you're keeping a relationship. You're keeping a toxic relationship right here in your brain somewhere. And you will struggle with your identity. You will struggle with your power. You will struggle with all the things, your callings, all the things that God has done for you and all the things that God wants from you out of a mature Christian. And you will find that because you've left place for the devil, you have built a cabin there and you wonder why you're struggling. It's because you're having a toxic relationship with somebody that wants to destroy you. And you're giving place to the devil. So don't allow him to access your mind or your body. Don't do things. Don't take yourself places that Jesus doesn't want you to go. Don't do things. Don't be involved in things. Don't participate in things that the enemy can use against you. Romans 12.1 talks about, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So you see, as we dedicate our bodies and try to do things with our bodies, it doesn't make us holy, no matter how good we behave, but it just means that we should consecrate this temple, just like we don't just... We don't just have nightclub things in here on Friday nights just to make a little money on the side. We don't have church here Sunday and then through the week just have just drunken parties in here. Why? Because this is the sanctuary. This building's dedicated to God. We don't have, we don't turn this into a casino on Friday nights to make a little money for She's for Christ. It's a sanctuary. Well, so are you. And so there shouldn't be any place where we give place to the devil, not on Friday night, not on any off nights, not on vacation. There should be something that we say that this is presented to God. Uh, as we pick up on 28 in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says this, let him that steal, steal no more. And it's talking about what a mature Christian would do. Let him that labor work with his hands that he might uh, give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. There should be edifying. You should have a tendency to edify people, not tear people down. It's much harder. Brother Rock here, Shannon, is in the construction business. His crew, him, he can go in there and tear up a building in a day. He can tear a building down in a day, but it takes weeks to build one and to build one right and to build it well. It's always harder to tear something down than it is to build something up. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. These are all things that mature Christians do. 
Mature Christians understand, mature believers understand that you can't receive correction, then you can't handle promotion. Mature disciples run to the battle. Mature disciples pray with passion. They understand the value of prayer. And they understand we do wrestle against a very real spiritual world. If you think you're going to survive the onslaught that the enemy has for you just because you got your one year's perfect attendance badge and you don't come ready for prayer, you don't come ready to do some battle at the altar after service, you're not doing battle through the week at home, you're not navigating through, okay, God, what do you want me to do today and what do you want me to be careful of? What do you want me to watch out for? What snare, what trap is set for me? If you think that just coming to church midweek and church service on Sunday is enough, then, then, you, then you're, you're, you're not really understanding your thinking as a child. There is a real war in the spirit. So what will you choose? The bottle or the battle? You have a choice. You don't get to choose whether there is a war or not. That's been decided there is a war and you're in it. You only get to choose flight or fight, comfort or combat. Play or pray, natural or supernatural, that's your choice. You don't get to choose to just check out. Ephesians 6, 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so it doesn't say we don't wrestle at all. It just says where the fight is. We want to read that we wrestle not and just stop right there and say, oh, God's going to take care of everything. No, he's not. He will fight where he's got to fight, but he's also going to fight when we engage in the battle and he asks us to do our part, and he will certainly do his part. Praying always, verse 18, with prayer and all supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication with all the saints. I have to watch for my family. I have to watch when I, when I see something at night at our house or I, I think something's going on in the neighborhood, I have to be aware. I have to be the one that stands guard and watch. Likewise, in the spirit, if there's something weird going on, I got to figure it out in the spirit. I had an episode here a while back. It was probably two years ago where every Sunday morning I would start to get this stomach issue. I would start to get these these, 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 these feelings of nausea every Sunday morning would never get it on Saturday, wouldn't get it Monday through Friday. Sunday morning is when it would happen. There were a couple Sundays I said, I can't make it to church. You're going to have to have somebody preach for me. And so they would. And, and, and then I realized, wait a minute, why is this only on Sunday? You see, I went from, a, I went from small thinking and child thinking, that, man, I feel sick today, to, to thinking as an adult, wait a minute, wait, I got a process here. Why is this only happening on Sunday and it's only Sunday morning and by the time church is over, the healing angel would fly over my house apparently. So I started thinking, wait a minute, now this was legitimate stomach stuff. This was not just something I'm just thinking about. This was, this was real. So the symptoms that come to you are real, right? The things that the devil does, they, they are real things. But, but we got to make sure we don't wrestle in the flesh, although the symptoms are in the flesh. So I said, wait a minute, I think I see a pattern here. I think this is something in the spirit. Now, I didn't want to admit that I was being 
attack that I was allowing the devil to attack me and I didn't think I was allowing it, but I had to recognize so I had to know how to go to battle. If it's a spirit of infirmity, Pepto-Bismol ain't going to heal it. It's a spirit problem. And so I said, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. So the next Sunday, I prayed about it. I still felt a little queasy. But you know what I did? I decided I'm going to church anyway. Because I'm going to defeat this thing. I'm not going to be held back. I'm not going to let the devil do this. I feel like this is a spiritual attack. And so I still went to church. And I still felt a little uncomfortable at church. But I will tell you that it, 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 it was okay. And I will tell you the next week was even more okay. And I haven't been bothered with it since. What was going on? I had to discern as somebody that was mature in the spirit that although there was a spirit of infirmity that just felt like just upset stomach, I'm telling you there was a real spirit world at work. It could be your car. It could be your finances. It could be any place that seems very natural that you could be under attack. But we have to understand there's a very spiritual war going on and you've got to fight it in the spirit. Now, can I say if I'm eating something stupid every Saturday night that I also can't blame it on the devil? But when it is, you've got to know where the fight is. You can't forget how to fight. My biggest concern right now for the church is the church is forgetting how to fight. Turn up the music, pastor. Play hymns, pastor. Play more contemporary music, pastor. There was a squeal in the microphone, pastor. The, the temperature's too warm, it's too cold. And I'm, I'm concerned that the church sometimes forgets how to fight in the spirit. Oh, I know we see an image of Jesus and he's this little lamb, spotless lamb. He died for our sins and he did. He's the only sacrifice that could have died for all of our sins. But make no mistake about it, don't forget he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's not going to be crucified next time he comes back. He's coming back to take care of some business. And I believe he's looking for a bride that's going to know how to take care of business. Because if we're going to come back and rule and reign with him, we're going to have, he's going to bring back some people that know how to fight in the spirit. I want the musicians to come. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says this. This is right before he knows he's not getting out of prison this time. He knows that this time it's going to be different. He says this. He said, I fought a good fight. Anybody believe that he had a fight on his hands? Everybody here with me that he didn't have a real cozy walk, a real cozy, comfortable walk with God in his experience? We look at his shipwrecked and being beaten and left for dead and all the things that he went through. Can we, can we agree that he, he, he had a fight on his hands? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We are in a day today where cultural Christians have lost their will to fight. They have accepted their place in a powerless existence, void of any conviction, burden, or spiritual authority. Many Christians lack the ability to take dominion over spiritual oppression that bullies them and keeps them weak. I want us to stand to our feet today. A number of years ago, There was a man, I, I, I saw his testimony the other day, several months ago actually. 
He's telling some stories. He's a Navy SEAL. He's telling us stories. And he was answering the question, why did you join the SEAL team? Here's what he says. I was a young man and I was watching the TV. And I was watching 9-11 unfold. as a young mother on the one of the high floors jumped off the building and on her way down for the sake of modesty she was holding her skirt down he said I made a decision right then